was about three years ago that I got an email from Cornerstone University, and it wasn't a bill for one of my college kids' tuitions, and I appreciated that. But I got an email, and it was announcing a pastor's retreat at Mackinac Island. And they were underwriting a huge part of the cost and uh, inviting pastors to come to this retreat. And uh, we'd be staying at the, uh, what's it called, the Grand Hotel? And we're staying there, and you know they'd be feeding us a couple times a day. And uh, there would be some sessions with the speaker to get our batteries recharged a bit. And there would be some time to be, uh, we could get out and explore the island a little bit. And I said to my wife, I said, hey, would you have any interest in doing this? And she's like, sign us up. And uh, so we signed up, and uh, it was in the fall, and uh, so we were looking forward to that. About the same time, our church was looking to add a pastor to the staff, and we were talking to this guy named Mark Manzer. And we had had some phone conversations, and it gotten to the place where, you know, like, we really need to sit down and have a face-to-face and, and try to get a little better handle on who this guy was, and uh, and his wife as well, too, and so... We were talking on the phone back and forth about how can we meet. He was up in Petoskey, and how can we meet halfway? And uh, um, and it just crossed my mind that Mark was a Cornerstone grad. I'm like, is there any chance that you're going to this retreat in Mackinac Island? He's like, yeah, I am. I said, how about if we do this? How about instead of trying to meet halfway, we just try to connect at that con- at that retreat? He's like, perfect. And so. That was our plan. We went up there and got up there on a Thursday and ran into to Mark and Sue on Thursday night and introduced ourselves, Kelly and me, and said, how about on Saturday morning we meet for breakfast? And they're like, that works great for us. That works for you. Let's do that. And so we had a great time and some great sessions, good speakers, and we got out and, and explored the island a little bit there. And Saturday morning came, and I forget, I had like 8 o'clock, we are meeting them for breakfast. And so we walked into the lobby there, and Mark and Sue were standing there, and, and uh Kelly and I walked in, and, and the hostess said, how many will it be? And we said, four. And she said, follow me. And behind us, there's this voice that says, could you take two more? And we turned around and looked, and it was the speaker of the event and his wife who wanted to join Mark and me and Kelly and Sue uh, for breakfast that morning. Well, it was an interview, right? And I was like, uh, Sure. And so Mark and Sue interviewed with Kelly and me and with Steve and whatever his wife's name was, I don't even remember, that morning. It was the strangest interview because I'm trying to ask questions that I want Mark to answer, but I'm trying to ask it in such a way that this guy that's sitting at my table doesn't know what's going on. And the weirdest part about it was, is like, I mean, there are some things you just can't quite ask while the guest is sitting at your table. And so we're trying to outlast them. And I'm sure this guy is like, are these people just going to sit at this table all day long? Like, why don't they leave here so that I can, you know, extricate my wife and me and get out of here? And I'm like, and finally, you know, the awkwardness came to a a peak. And he's like, hey, you know what? It's nice to meet you guys. Uh, My wife and I want to, you know, we got something going on here. Is it okay if we excuse ourselves? And I was like, yes. And he walked off and we talked to Mark and Sue and we hired him. And let me just tell you, by the way, uh, Mark is out of town with his parents this weekend. Um, one of the best people I have ever worked with in my entire life. Um, absolutely phenomenal person. And uh, it has been a great hire and a great addition to our family here at Waterford Community Church. But 
It was our weekend retreat with a little bit of business thrown in on the side there, a strange business thrown in on the side. But Mackinac Island, I think for a lot of people, is like an up north retreat, isn't it? I mean, usually you don't go up there to do lots of work. You go up there to get away from it all, to get away from the traffic even, um, to, to uh, enjoy the, the change of pace. This is one of the things I like to do on Mackinac Island. There's all those fudge shops. I visit every single one and sample them. And then I try to rate them as the day goes on. And then when I decide on which one I think is the best, I go back and buy a box. And uh, the other five, you know, they just gave me free samples. Sorry about that. But if your fudge was better, I would have bought it, okay? But we go to Mackinac for this retreat. Well, as we go up north with Jesus today, we go to a city or a town that was known somewhat, uh, somewhat as a retreat center. And it was called Caesarea Philippi. And we see this on a map. And I switched to a different map here that has a little bit, it's, it's spread out a little bit more. And we see Galilee is this region here. And we've been visiting these places with Jesus in these uh, different places. You can see Nain is down here. Uh, Nazareth, where Jesus was from, Cana. Um, you can see uh, Capernaum, Bethsaida. Uh, down here was Gadara. We visit all these places. Last week we were up here in Tyre, inside in this area. Sidon's a little bit north there. And where we're going today is we're coming across here to this city right here, which is Caesarea Philippi. Now, if you if you want to, you could think for about two seconds here and realize that this is named for actually two people. The first one it was named for was Caesar, and the second one it was named for was Philip. Well, Caesar was the emperor over all, basically, the whole world at that time. And Philip was the Herod, or the king over this region of the world at that time. And Philip had gone into the city, was there, but he had really revived it and really dumped a lot of money and resources into it and turned it into a resort town. And this is where he set up his um, throne and ruled from, so, so Philip. But people would like to go there. It was a beautiful place. It was just the base of the mountains there. And so the water would come down off the spring off the mountains, and it, and it watered the valley, so, so very lush. It's actually the place where the uh, Jordan River, uh, the source of the Jordan River. And so people would go to Caesarea Philippi, kind of like we go to Mackinac Island, as a retreat to get away from it all. But that's not even what Caesarea Philippi was most known for, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But as we join our story with Jesus this morning, that's exactly what he is doing. He has gone up north, way up north, to Caesarea Philippi to get away from it all. And what the, it all is, he's basically going to get away from the crowds. And the crowds mostly were Jews, and he's going up into Gentile territory, and he's just taken with him his disciples. And we're now getting towards the end of Jesus' ministry and getting pretty close to when all the the uh, the last um, days of his ministry and the crucifixion and all that is about to take place. And he's gathering his disciples to him, and he's giving them some instructions that they're going to need for what comes next. And they don't really realize this, but as we join the story, and it's in Matthew chapter 16, and I encourage you to turn there this morning, as we join the story, Jesus has gathered his disciples. He's taken them up north. They spent some time praying. We, we learned that in Luke chapter 9. And he's getting ready to share some really important things with them. And what he shares is really important to us. 
In fact, what he shares affects every single person that's sitting in this room this morning. Now, sometimes I'll come on a Sunday morning and say, we're going to talk about this, and it's a theme or it's a topic, and it hits some of you. In another week, I will come and we'll talk about this, and it hits others of you. What we're talking about this morning, I promise you and I guarantee you, affects every single person that's sitting in the room this morning. So let's listen in, and let's read this story. It shows up in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question, Chris already referenced this, who do people say that the Son of Man, and they knew that he was referring to himself, who do people say that I am? It was just a question to prime the pump, to get them thinking, but they respond, some say that you're John the Baptist, which is kind of a weird answer, thinking, realizing that they were both living at the same time, and John had been, def- I don't know, I don't know where they came up with that one from. Some say it's Elijah. Some others say that you're Jeremiah or that you're one of the prophets. But everybody thinks that you're a religious leader, Jesus. Oh, not everybody. Some of the some of the Pharisees think that you're you know, like you know, Beelzebub or what you know, one of the, the the princes of darkness. But pretty much everybody thinks that you're a religious leader. And so Jesus turns to them and says, "What about you?" And that "you" is plural. So he's talking to his disciples. Who do you guys? Who do you say that I am? And like he usually was, the leader, Simon Peter, was the first to answer, and he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And ding, 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 he got it right. And Simon Peter so many times got it wrong. In this case, he gets it right. And Jesus goes on, though, and and by the way, we call this sometimes the great confession. What What Simon Peter said here, you are Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. But Jesus goes on, he says, okay, since you said that, let me say this. He replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, you're blessed, Simon, because you know what? You didn't figure that out on your own. You didn't figure that out because you've been following me around here for three years. You didn't figure that out because you've been watching the miracles. You figured that out. Because God showed that to you. And he's given you some spiritual enlightenment and some spiritual understanding. See, other people follow and they think that I'm John the Baptist or they think that I'm Elijah. But you think something different, but it's not you. It's actually God at work in your life. And then he goes on, he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. Well, he started out, he said, Blessed are you, Simon. He says, but now you're not Simon anymore, you're Peter. And what he's saying is, you've actually changed. And I said to you, what if you go all the way back into John chapter 1? He said, you're going to be, you're, you're, you're Simon now, but you're going to be Peter. He says, you've actually changed. And once again, he is referring to what God has done in the life of Peter. And then he makes this statement that has literally impacted me as much as anything Jesus said in his earthly ministry. He said this, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And as Jesus says that, I think the disciples look at each other and go, what's a church? It was a new term. And it used the Greek word ekklesia, which means the assembly, but I don't think they had any any idea what he was talking about. And they were probably looking at him and saying, okay, uh, what's a church, and why did Peter get uh, selected here, and what's going on? And Jesus keeps right on going, and he says this, 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, which is a great promise. We'll come back to that in a minute. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah because it was all moving to where, I mean, the Father had coordinated how all the events were going to play out here as the crucifixion drew near. And Jesus wasn't looking for complications. But then, it says in verse 21, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He tells them the crucifixion is coming and the resurrection is coming. But you know what? They completely miss it because they're sitting there going, what's a church? Well, I want to talk about the church this morning. And as I mentioned, the church has been a huge part of my life. In fact, I first started attending church when I was eight days old. I was born on a Saturday. My mom and dad were nice enough to leave me in the hospital on Sunday. And then I came home and I went to church the very next Sunday. And I have been going to church literally for the rest of my life. In fact, to give you some idea of how often I've gone to church, I was trying to figure this out this week. I think I have attended church as just an attender um, like over 5,000 times. Now, then I went off and got a job working for a church. So I've gone to work at church at another like 7,500 times. I've been like over 12,000 times I've gone to church in my life. Anybody else up there with me? I mean, yeah. It only seems like that, people, okay? Church, what Jesus said there was like my life. I mean, my first major injury I ever had took place in church. I was five years old. It was the evening service, and I and some other friend had broken into the nursery and found a soccer ball or a playground ball or whatever, and we were playing soccer in the nursery, but that was kind of boring, just the two of us. So we turned out the lights. And I went for the ball, and there happened to be the door right there, and I split my head open, and I got my first stitches in life because of the church. Now, I also grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor. So every time, you know, I mean, he moved, we moved with him, but he would go to another church, and so we would all attend church. And one of those churches had a parsonage that was right across the, from the parking lot from the church. You know what that means? That means that every time somebody forgets a key, they come knock on your door. So for like five years, the door, knock, knock, knock. And you just, you don't even say anything. You just hand them the key. And, uh, but you know, you kind of live there in the glass house too, because everybody drives into the church and just to see what the Wood family is doing. You know, the pastor's kids. And, uh, so like on Sunday afternoons, we'd have to hide inside just so we wouldn't be, you know, desecrating the day. But I, I grew up in the church. And that doesn't make me a hero. Maybe it makes me more of a survivor. I don't know. But my life has been impacted by this, but hopefully yours has too. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about the church because 2,000 years later, we're sitting here. And we're sitting here because of what Jesus said one day in Caesarea Philippi. And that statement that he made has impacted the history of the world. And the church has been at the center of it, sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. The church has had its moments, hasn't it? It's had great victories. It's also been the source of incredible pain and hardship and hurt. And even in our situation, in our circumstance, in our era today, the church has its moments. 
The church is spreading across the globe, especially in areas outside of our Western world. Um, places like India, places like Africa, places like Central America. The church is spreading like crazy. And so we see the ups on that side. We see the downs on the other side. It's actually, we see church attendance declining in the United States. And especially among younger people. And so the question comes up, well, like, what's happening to the church here? Why is that? Why is it declining? Well, the answers used to be these. Well, because there's so many hypocrites in the church. Well, obviously, right? Because there's so many hypocrites in life. There's hypocrites at work too, right? You know, the guy who is just railing on the boss until the boss walks in the room and says something and he looks at the boss and says, that's a great idea. What a hypocrite. But you still go to work with him, right? And we all do. I mean, you, you go to Ford Field, we're all, Ford, we're all Lions fans for at least the first minute of the game until they do something dumb. And then, boo, you know, we're all hypocrites. So that, that one actually, that excuse has kind of disappeared. You don't hear that that much anymore. And it's probably a good thing because, you know, we are hypocrites. Let's just admit it, okay? I am too. You know, we talk a better game than we play sometimes. You know, it used to be that people would say, well, all the church wants is money. Well, I don't think that's all the church wants. I mean, money helps us do things like turn on the lights. I mean, it pays for like, the, you know, the, the, the water that we get. Um, uh, it, you know, the, we bought these chairs with, with money. So yeah, it helps us do ministry. You know, the curriculums that we use for, for kids. But I don't think we're all about money. In fact, we're pretty low key about it, aren't we? I mean, imagine if you walked into Kroger and they just say, hey, after you get your groceries, just whatever you feel like putting in the plate at the way out, just go for it. And so we don't actually hear that one anymore, and it's really kind of a bogus argument. We do hear this sometimes, too. Well, the church is just kind of stuffy and formal and weird. Well, I don't think we're very stuffy and formal. We might be weird sometimes, all right? And that might be my fault. I'm sorry. And actually, when you start talking about what we do at church, it is a little bit different, isn't it? I mean, we just sang songs to somebody that I didn't see. Did you? And yet we have experienced him, if we're Christ followers, But I think there's new things that are being said today. And let me just mention these and then dive back into the scripture and say, what does it have to say about this? Some of the new things that we hear today is the church isn't relevant. And we're not talking about style of worship and or style of liturgy or even vernacular. What we're talking about is sometimes the church doesn't really tune into what's going on in the world today. And it's talking in some language over here when everybody's living over here and there's like this huge disconnect. Well, we work really hard here at Waterford Community Church to, to, to minimize that disconnect and to talk about things that are going on in the Bible that, that are also going on in our lives and bring them together. Sometimes we hear that the church is too judgmental and that the church tries to be the police of the world. And you know what? That's probably guilty as charged. And on top of that, if you really read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, we shouldn't be doing that. It's not our job to police the world. It's our job to share Christ with the world. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to do something. It's our job to police what's going on in the church, but not outside the church. And so sometimes we hear that, though. Well, the church just is running around condemning everybody. And you know what? We've done that. And sometimes we've done that when we shouldn't have done that. Sometimes we hear that the church is too political. Sometimes it's all about political causes that are going on in the world and kind of fits in what I just said there. Maybe we should step back from that sometimes. Sometimes they're talking about what's going on inside the church. And it can get too political. 
Sometimes we hear today that the church is just too introverted, that it cares more about itself than it does about the community in which it finds itself. And that is one of the things that we talk about a lot here at this church, isn't it? That we need to get outside of these walls and make a difference in our community because we don't want to be about ourselves. Because there is a world that needs to hear about Jesus. Sometimes we hear that the church is just not compelling. It doesn't call us to something bigger. So we find something that is more compelling and more attractive and and that, that we can lock into better. And I want to say there's nothing more compelling than the church. There's nothing more compelling than sharing the news that Jesus Christ loves us. And he gave his life for us. And we can have a relationship with him. That's pretty compelling stuff. And that our lives can be changed like Peter's life was changed from Simon to Peter. But what happens sometimes is these criticisms are actually true. And because they're true, we might be tempted to say, I'm not sure I want to be a part of the church anymore. Because it's gotten away from what it's supposed to be or it's not doing what it's supposed to do. That may be true. But if that's what you're thinking this morning, let me challenge you. Instead of walking away from it, let's be part of the solution. Let's look at what the church is supposed to be about and say, count me in when it comes to church stuff, and I'm going to do everything I can to make it be what Jesus intended for it to be way back at the beginning. And so let's look at six things that come out of this scripture this morning about the church that I hope, first of all, will get us excited about the church. But secondly, will challenge us to be the fix or to be the church that God intended that Jesus was talking about all along. So here are six things to remember this morning. First of all, its author is Jesus. That makes it important. That means that we can't just blow it off. It's Jesus' idea, so we need to take it seriously. It's not something that anybody came up with. It wasn't like the disciples after Jesus went back to heaven and said, how are we going to keep this thing going? Oh, I got an idea. Let's do a church thing. Now, it came way before that where Jesus himself said, I'm leaving, but this is what I'm leaving behind. I'm leaving behind the Holy Spirit, and I'm leaving behind the church. And it should make it important in our lives because he's always, well, I mean, because he started it, but he's always going to stand behind it as well. Secondly, its mission is to push back against Hades. Now, what is Hades? Hades was a term that was used to refer to the underworld or to where the, the place of the dead or the place of the spirits. And this is really interesting because I said at the beginning The Caesarea Philippi was known as a retreat center, but that's not what it was most known for. It was most known for as a worship center to the god Pan, who was like the goat god of fertility. But these are the ruins actually in Caesarea Philippi today. And if you look right here, this is where the temple of Pan stood. And if you notice back here, there's a cave. And this cave was where... In the bottom of this cave is where the spirits and the dead went and came from. It was the transition point or the portal that these people believed. So as Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi and says the gates of Hades, he's talking about, or he could be talking about, even something that they're looking down the road and seeing and saying, these false gates of 
the darkness and of the spirit world and of death, the church is going to defeat. And that's our role and that's our purpose and that's our mission, is to defeat the darkness in our world, to defeat death with the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and we can experience new life and resurrection ourselves, and to defeat the grip of evil in our lives where Jesus comes and says, no, I can give you new life. And the Holy Spirit comes inside us and, and, and makes us new creation. And so our mission as a church is to push back against it. And the promise is what? That it can't defeat the church. And when we are about what we need to be about, these gates fall because the church of Jesus Christ is so strong. And that's what we need to be about is fixing, is taking the good news out and saying, we're going to be light in the darkness. Because that's what the church is all about. The third thing here is the church, its people, including its leadership, will be imperfect. And this bothers us sometimes because the church is messed up. And yes, it is. And you know why it's messed up? Because I'm in it. And because you're in it. And because we're imperfect people. I love this. Jesus looks at Peter and says, I'm going to build this church on you. I mean, you're going to be the leader out of the gate here, Peter. And after this, just a few verses after this, if you keep reading in Matthew, Jesus is calling Peter Satan for saying something really stupid. After he just said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And then after this, you know, Peter goes to the Mount of Transfiguration and says something really stupid again and has to get corrected. And after this, Peter denies Jesus. And after this, Peter, even in the early church, caves into the Judaizers and has to be rebuked and corrected by Paul. So Jesus has picked Peter, who he knows is going to be a failure, not in the past, but also in the future. And he says, this is where we're going. I love it. All of us imperfect people here. Jesus said, that's okay. I'll pick you anyhow. Now, it's going to make a mess. And gosh, church is messy sometimes, isn't it? And we deal with situations where we're like, oh, what do we do here? But that's exactly what church is supposed to be about. And we are people who need grace desperately. But that's what the church is. It's to call a whole bunch of people together who need the grace of God, who aren't perfect, who are imperfect. And that means bad things happen in church sometimes. And people say things that are rude. And people do things that are very hurtful. And you've probably experienced it if you've been going to church. I have, after whatever you know, million times I've been to church, I've endured some of those things. I mean, I've had people stand and scream at me. But you know what? It's okay. Because we're all imperfect people. Now, it's not okay that somebody screamed at me, all right? That's not how we're supposed to act. Sometimes I hear that too. Well, that's just the way somebody is. Well, what's the way we're supposed to be? And so it's not okay if we act like that in the church, but it's going to happen, and it doesn't need to throw us. We just need to lean back and say, I'm going to be part of the solution here. But church, its success hinges on Jesus. It's his church, and he's building it, and it will prevail. And 2,000 years later, with all of these ups and downs that the church has gone through, it's still here. And if Jesus waits another 2,000 years to come back, I'll make you one promise. It will still be here. The church isn't going anywhere. Because Jesus has said, I will build this church. But it's a reminder to us that it is his church. It's not ours. 
And so we need to be really, really careful about how we treat the church, how we approach our roles within the church, how we care about each other in the church. This is His. It's not ours. We need to care for it and care for it carefully and thoughtfully. See, sometimes the church is too often a reflection of us when it's supposed to be a reflection of Jesus. Sometimes we need that reminder, you know what? We need to be acting just like Jesus because this church needs to look like Jesus. So we need to offer grace. We need to offer forgiveness. We need to offer kindness. We need to offer compassion. We need to be generous. We need to be long-suffering because that's who Jesus is. And this church is his church, and so it needs to look like Jesus. So that's an encouragement to us this morning. Your inclusion in the church, though, depends on your confession. And that confession is that Jesus is, yes, the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins as perfect man, dying for us, imperfect man, so that we could find forgiveness and new life in Him, so that we can have the hope of eternity, so that we can be a part of this incredible thing called the church, because churches are awesome when they're working right. Because churches gather around hurting people and support them. Churches pray for sick people. Churches sometimes bring meals to people that are going through duress. Churches bring encouragement. Churches give you somebody else who thinks like you do sometimes. Isn't that nice? Churches are awesome things, but we come into the church through our confession of who Jesus Christ is and through inviting Him into our story. There's no other organization, thing, institution in the world that can touch the power of the church. And do you know why? It's because its impact is measured in transformation. I love twice in this story, Jesus makes the point with Peter, who you were, you're not anymore. And this is the power of the church. And when we connect ourselves to God's church, and when we get ourselves where we're hearing God's word and we get ourselves where we're connecting with God's people and we're, we're practicing things that, that show up in God's word and instruction we have, transformation takes place in our lives. And this is why even something as simple as getting to church is so important to us. Because God intends to use the church to change who we are, to turn us from Simon's into Peter's, to turn us from cowards into bold proclaimers of Christ, to turn us from self-centered individuals into other-centered servants. The power of the church is absolutely incredible and transformational. So, what about the church? And how do you feel about it today? Is it just something that, yeah, well, that's a habit. I do that on Sunday, so I'll just go do my thing. I don't think that's good enough. Or is it just something that, you know, like, well, I've been doing it all my life. I I like it. I like the people there. Maybe that's not good enough. Or is it something where you say, you know what, it's not perfect, and I'm frustrated by it. You can say any of these things. But what I would challenge you with, is this, to say, 
if you are a member of the church, but as a member of Christ's church, as a, as a Christ follower who's trusted him, what are you doing to make it great? What are you doing to make it awesome? What are you doing to make it all that Jesus intended it to be to start with? That's the challenge. What are you doing here at Waterford Community Church to make it an awesome church? And this is an awesome church. Some of the best people I've ever met in my life sit here in this church and not just sit here in this church, serve here in this church. But it's a challenge to each of us. Jesus went up north. He went up north to the people. He went up north to bring light. He went up north to bring light to the Gentiles. We're the Gentiles. How did he do that? Well, through his example, through his teaching, through his crucifixion and resurrection. But he also did that. One day in Caesarea Philippi, when he looked at 12 guys and he said, we're going to do this church thing. And I'm going to do it, but I'm going to put it on you. And it's going to be awesome. And 2,000 years later, we are still experiencing some of that awesome, aren't we? But we can make it better. And that's my challenge to all of us this morning.